0: Welcome back, everybody, to this extra edition of the classic rock podcast. And coming up, we're going to be hearing from the Cats in Space, Greg Hart, talking about a fabulous new Cats double album. It's called Kickstart the Sun, and it is out on Friday of this week. Now, some of you, especially those of you based here in the US or Canada or Australia or any of the other places around the world, will listen to you. May not be aware of uh, the Cats in Space, but if you were a fan of of late 60s and 70s bands, including influences like Small Faces, Queen, Yellow, Foreigner, Toto, all the great bands that produced highly melodic AOR, Power pop, and Rock, then you will love the Cats in Space. That's all I'm going to tell you. And although the uh, individual members of the band have been around for a good few years now, uh, the Cats in Space have only been in existence since 2015. That said... Kickstart the Sun is a sixth album. But to begin with, let us delve into the catalogue. No pun intended. Uh, To give you an introduction of where they, uh, they came from. So pick this. This came from 2017's Scarecrow album. And it is called Jupiter Calling. space told you they were good uh, now a couple of things to mention firstly some really sad news it was announced by Deep people that steve morse will not be returning to the band having stood down late last year as he continues to care for his wife janine who is battling cancer now it's hard really to pay a big enough tribute to steve morse who's one of the uh, rock music industry's most dignified uh, musicians and characters who stepped into Deep Purple back in 1994 after Richie Blackmore's exit, and with the band literally uh, teetering on the brink of implosion. And within two years, he'd steadied his ship and turned it around and helped to produce and appear on what is still one of the best post Blackmore albums, the often overlooked but still outstanding Perpendicular. Now uh, Hopefully more of a tribute will be uh, put together in time. But in terms of his career high points, this track still remains a uh, standout moment for me and for many others as well. It's from Perpendicular and it's called Sometimes I Feel Like Screaming. There is truly superb from Steve Morse and Deep Purple, as we said, we'll definitely put uh, something more of a special um, around him together in future editions. Now, talking about uh, interesting guests, how many of you remember a band called Virgin Steel and uh, Jack Star's Burning Star from the eighties? Well, he's back with a brand new album. It's called Souls of the Innocent. It's a really good traditional heavy metal album. We're going to be hearing from Jack in the next show, so don't forget to listen out for that. And if you missed it, uh, Danny Bowes of Thunder was on the most recent show. Uh, he's in great form as ever, talking about, what well, everything his career and, uh, what, the last 40-odd years, the new album Dopamine, which is, again, right up there with the best that they've done. So you can still listen to that on the website or any of the streaming providers. Moving on though, now in this extra edition of the classic rock podcast, Cats in Space and the new album Kickstart, The Sun, and coming up, it will be in conversation with Greg Hart. And the conversation does include references to the following. Scooby-Doo, Officer Dibble, Hanna-Barbera cartoons, H.R. Puff and stuff with a witch called witchy poo and if you watched that show in the 70s puff and stuff you will know exactly who she is and she was the inspiration behind this one of the tracks from the new album kickstart the sun and just before we get to greg how about we uh, poke the witch <laughs> Let's talk about the album then. Kickstart (laughs) the Sun, a 15-track double album. I mean, this is this is seriously ambitious. But I wanted to start. (laughs) I'm trying not to use a cliche, but as you're a man of the 70s, I have to. It's from that revered band, Hot Chocolate. Everyone's a winner. Uh, it's remarkable, really, not oh. this album because it's got zero filler. And I think to say it's a homage to oh, the seventies, it, it's not quite right. The influences might be there, but this is a really fully glossed-up version of something which is all about today. Uh, and you must be really satisfied with with what you've produced because the reviews are great. It sounds great. It looks great. And um, it's primed to perhaps do better than anything you've done before
1: yeah I mean um that's that's very kind words thanks very much and I couldn't have said it better myself to be honest yeah I mean when the band started it was all very much you know basically like a little project that I wanted to do just to kind of scratch an itch that I had about doing some songs that were from the era that I really love and grew up with and you know I got two older brothers so I got introduced to music at a really early age and uh You know, I can remember T-Rex coming out and David Bowie and stuff. And all that kind of era has always been very, very much part of my DNA. So um, I finally found, by pure fluke, a a group of people that could fulfill the kind of ambition that I had. And it just fell into this kind of band called Cats in Space, but it was never going to be that. It was going to be like a project um, just for me and Mick Wilson, who was uh, with 10CC at the time. Um, and it just grew and grew and people just really fell in love with this kind of idea of a band doing music from a golden era that very few would dare to do these days. And um, I guess Kickstart the Sun, is, which is our fifth studio album now, it's kind of it's the culmination of all the other four albums of the journey that we've been on, where we've honed it and honed it and honed it and, you know, using all our own kind of trademark sounds if you like that we refer to from the 70s and it's kind of um culminated in kickstart the sun which i'm, I'm chuffed to bits with i mean that the band have played on it absolutely magnificently damien edwards you know what a world-class singer he is you know he's astonishing and he's brought another level to the band that we didn't have before not disrespecting anybody else in the band but we've just got that kind of cinematic kind of um, capability with that with our music and we just I just love doing the big pompous massive sounding music that kind of um,
0: makes people feel it's happy.
1: emotional you know it, 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 it links in with people's emotions especially people of our age that are in their kind of late 40s 50s that remember the music from the first time around you know it's People need it in their lives in this day and age because we're all getting to an age where we want to hang on to something, you know.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. funny actually. You use the word um, "astonishing." I made a note here and uh, said that yeah, I know that the, the quality of the band is made up of all its constituent parts offering their contributions uh, to the to the finished product. But Damien Edwards' vocals at times were <laughs> astonishing. Uh, you know, I know that yeah. you've had great vocalists in the past. Uh, but how and where did you come across him?
1: It, it's just really bizarre, and I'm, I'm sure he won't mind me saying this, but um, I, I'm, I'm part of a, a 70s theatre show, which does all 70s kind of, you know, um, it's a tribute to the 70s, basically. It's been going for quite a while, and Damien came down to depth for us about seven, eight years ago, and we, we needed a singer to come in that could do these songs, and he came down for this audition, and he literally... I can't even explain how much he blew us away because he was doing anything from Donnie Osmond to the Four Seasons to Freddie Mercury in a flick of a switch and seriously good. I know people are like, Donny Osmond is a yeah, Jib, but <laughs> he, he can do the voice of a 12 year old kid singing Puppy Love, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and, but Damien was really kind of, and, he, and I've spoken to him many times about this and he won't be offended by it. He was re- quite dour on the day and we didn't get to really speak to him. He was really within himself. And we just didn't engage with him, and so he, he went off, and we never heard of him again. He never did, never did the shows, and we kind of went. He was a bit of a funny chap. And then about three years later, we crossed paths again. This time, he did come and do the shows, and he said to me, "He said, I really feel I need to apologise for the last time we met." I said, "Why?" He said, "Well, I was, I was really down that day. I had a really bad day, and I was, and I'd done a long drive." He said, "And unfortunately, my dad had just died." And I'm like. You're kidding me. He said, no. He said, so I wasn't really in a good place. I went, why on earth did you not cancel? He went, I didn't want to let you guys down. And that's the kind of guy that he is. You know, he's just this wonderful human being that, you know, we're so, so lucky that he wanted to come on board with us. And we've been very good friends for a while now. So I've always known what a great singer he is. Um, But I didn't know that he would do original music and certainly didn't know that he'd want to do Cats in Space. And he came down to sing Atlantis, the last album. And we just, I sat there with um, our engineer, Ian Capel, and I said, look, Damien's going to come down and do some backing vocals on the album that had, you know, we still had the other singer at that point. And Damien came in and did these backing vocals. And we just looked around at each other and went, my God, I said, he's too good to do the backing vocals. You know, he was just blowing these harmonies out of the water. Um, And playing devil's advocate i just said look could you just sing a lead part of um, one of the songs because i really think you should do this bit and he sang this section of um i think it was a song called marionettes and ian capel just nudged me in the arm and he just went he's the best singer i've ever recorded in 40 years i kid you not you know and i'm like yeah i tend to agree you know
0: it's amazing how these guys can exist and just turn up and they sing like this and you get the reaction that they get and you think, well, how, how on earth have you actually
1: oh, honestly.
0: not been discovered or yeah. how on earth have you never produced, uh, I don't know, a, a number one single or a pop single or done something?
1: I know. It's it's the classic case of the music biz, isn't it, when you get that kind of the best people in the game aren't the people that you see on the telly, not by a long chalk, you know, these journeymen that go around blowing, you know, gig after gig with these incredible performances and they never get the break. You know, I mean, to be to be fair, we all fit into that category to a certain degree. You know, we've all got the talent, But we, you know, I mean Dean's played with Tapau yeah, and he's yeah. had worldwide success. And, you know, Jeff has been with the suite and he's toured the world, you know, for, for years and years and years. Um, you know we've all had little dabbles you know I did some stuff with Asia and Steve who's with Robin Trower um, you know and Damien's done War of the Worlds with Jeff Wayne you know but we've never really stood up on our own two feet before and and kind of got the kind of recognition that maybe some of us did deserve but I think Damien his his time is now you know he's shining you know and Dare I say it, we were the vehicle that maybe he needed, you know, because he can flex his voice on all these different types of songs that we do, and every one of them is so believable. You know, he's he is an astonishing talent. I mean, I, I go on about him a lot, I know I do in all interviews, but he deserves it because he's that good. You know, he's just astonishing. He doesn't know how to sing bad, you know, he, he can't sing a, a, a bum note if he tried. You know, he just He's as anyone that works with him would tell you said he's a machine you know he's he's not human
0: <laughs> So it took 9 months to record this a feel here that there is no stone being left unturned and no <laughs> cost too great as you clearly uh, set out to make this the best yet the cast list is significant as well uh bj cole uh, credits oh. uh, no regrets with the walker brothers and baker yeah. street emily lynn and laura smiles from the aussie pink floyd show ian uh, cooper the one man string orchestra jack bursh in this brass and horn section which is pretty impressive as well oh, was yeah. this the plan from yes. the start, or did this grow as the project began to snowball? Um,
1: I think again, it's, it's the, I think it's the culmination of what we've tried to achieve before. Where I've always wanted to use real brass, but it's quite difficult to, to kind of orchestrate that in a funny sort of way because you need either a team of people that you've got to score the music for, which we can do. That's not a problem. Um, or you you tend to keep falling back on using samples because the samples are so good these days on on you know synthesizers you can do it um, and but the the pedal steel B J Cole we've always wanted to have pedal steel right from the first album because some of our songs lend to have that carpenters kind of vibe you know um, and I think lockdown just opened up a lot more opportunities for people that were working remotely. And they were kind of throwing their hat in the ring saying, hi, I'm so-and-so, I'm now doing stuff from home if anybody needs any sessions. And we just kind of put the feelers out. Uh, Jack Birchwood, Ian had heard of before, um, and we sent him the stuff, and he just did all these trumpets and French horns. I mean, I love French horn. I'm absolutely a sucker for French horn. I think it goes back to the uh, is it the Lady Loves Milk Tray advert. I think it was back <laughs> in the 70s. You know? um, and, yeah. and our music tends to lend to it so with every album that we've started me and Ian Capel have sat there and said you know our job now is just to make this the biggest thing that we can do and I don't care how we get there but we're going to get there and it might be hard it might be it might be stressful and it might be expensive but you've only got one shot to get these songs done right and each album we've got there but this album we just felt this deserves to go the extra mile and uh, Ian just threw an email out to BJ Cole. I wasn't expecting him to entertain us with his track record. I mean, Robbie Williams, Oasis, you name it, he's done it. Um, and he came back and he, he said, I'd love to do it. Um, and I cheekily said at the end, oh, I know that you was the man that did No Regrets, which is one of my all-time favourite songs. I said, we've actually done a recording of it. Uh, I said, don't no, suppose you fancy putting some pedal steel on that if you, if you want to revisit your old ground kind of thing. And he said, I'll chuck that in for nothing. So we he actually did a version of No Regrets for us as well, which we've got in the can for later on. Um, and that, I, I've only heard a little bit of it because I don't want to hear it until we start to work on it properly. But when the intro comes in and you hear that pedal still coming, I'm like, oh my God, that's going to be on our record. People would think we've sampled it off the original, but it's not. It's it's BJ doing it, you know? So so yeah, the, the, the long-winded answer is we just see the end game of these songs and whatever it takes to get there we we have to get there and it's why it takes us a long time to do records and you know we spend so much time on them because these songs you only get one chance to get them done right and you know I'm not I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist not by any stretch of imagination but if I hear it you know and see it and feel it in my mind of how this song needs to go we won't stop until we get there and Again, Kickstart, I think, is is possibly, um, up until now, not deserving the other albums. This is the most perfect album that sounded how I thought it could sound. So, yeah, it's... Um...
0: Did it set out to be a double album? I mean, there seems to be a, almost a renaissance of double albums. I mean, I was listening yesterday to, to Journey's new album, which is all oh, right, pretty amazing, actually, because they haven't produced a good album for... I don't know how long we were talking to Danny Bose, uh, Thunder have just done a fabulous yeah. uh, new double album called Double everybody's doing the double album.
1: I know, that, that was, it was very weird, because obviously me and Danny are, are good mates and stuff, and um, when, because uh, and Chris Charles also played with me in, in, the, in the 70s show, and when he said to me, oh our new album's going to be a double, I went, oh you were joking me, he said, why is that? I said, so's ours. And people think that, you know, because we tour with Thunder, they think we both do the same thing all the time, you know. But it's to be fair, I didn't want to do a double album. I wanted to get it into a single album with some extra tracks as B-sides and stuff, which we never do. We only ever write enough songs for the album. And I'm quite kind of conservative with, I don't believe in writing 30 songs and then culling 20 of them. I just don't, I just tend to try and write the best songs I can write. And that's what we'll do, you know. But, for some bizarre reason we did 16 songs one of them we didn't finish and the ones that were going to possibly be b-sides they just became too strong and in the end i was listening to them in a rough order of what 15 songs might sound like across a double album and it just seemed to work it just fitted and right up until the end yeah i was i was, I was kind of um saying to my girlfriend i said I've got to get this down to one album. I don't think we can dare do 15 songs on a double. And she was saying, no, you must. He said, it, it's, this is your war of the world. You know, it just works. I said, do you not get bored halfway through? She went, absolutely not. And she's a Muse fan. She's not even, you know, particularly, you know, into our kind of stuff. But she just said, no, you cannot. You can't chop that It's It's too good. You know, you've done too much work for it. And yeah, so we just kind of had to... Go to the bank and look at all our finances, and just go. Oh, okay, guys, this is going to be a, this is going to be a big, big, big expense for us. But you know, he who dares, you know, you got to go. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah. You know,
0: well, your inspiration. Uh, it comes from across the, the whole of the, the 1970s and the, the, the 60s as well. There is no shortage of musical styles for you to adopt for the Cats. And that's maybe why the album does work, because it isn't just 15 glam rock tracks. Um, yeah. And I did see a quote as well from you, which said, don't be surprised if the Cats do an easy listening album.
1: <laughs> I, remember, yeah, I remember saying that. Yeah, I mean, this is the thing. I mean... I've always said, yeah, my, I, I'm just not into kind of, I love rock music. You know, I love anything from like Judas Priest, ACDC, Kiss, you know, I grew up with these bands and, but I also grew up listening to Petula Clark, the Carpenters, um, Donna Summer, you know, uh, Lulu, you know, all, that, all those kind of 70s. Yeah, because really...
0: we never had rock radio in, the, in no. the city. You had Radio 1 that would have had exactly. Tommy Vance, Exactly. that mean, was it.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember, you know, like way back in the early 70s, I just loved pop music, you know, and it would be, it could go from Sparks to 10cc to Susie Quattro to The Carpenters to you know, Hurricane Smith, I don't know. And I just kind of sucks it all in. I, and I just love pop music. I really love all pop music. And for me, the 70s pop music had such a wide kind of demographic, if you like, you know, because one minute it could be Thin Lizzy, then the next minute it could be, you know, Nat King Cole or whatever. But the melody and the, and the melodies of those songs are the things that I draw the influence from. And that's why maybe Cats in Space are a little bit different, because we use really strong poppy melodies in a a rock structure, whereas most rock bands rely on blues riffs. You know, it's just scatting, you know, the, the melody moves very close. It doesn't have a lot of scope to it. They don't bank up harmonies very much, whereas obviously I just listen to bands like Queen and Styx and Boston and that, and... That's where that's where my kind of uh, bag is, you know. I just love all that multi-layered, choral kind of sound where everything can be massive. And um, so yeah, I've, I've gotta got to say uh,
0: one of the great for the fan features, right? And I uh, and I found I was doing this when I when I first heard the band because I like many uh, saw you out on tour, saw you live before I ever heard a recorded track. I saw the well thunder uh, with Quo. Oh, cool. um, and when you went to look up the, the catalogue and play some of the songs, one of the best way you sit there going, mm, there's a bit of Queen, a mm, bit, bit of Toto, a bit of John Miles. Cool. I was listening to Kickstart as well, and there's an, uh, a nod of appreciation in there. I saw a bit of uh, Monkeys, a bit of yeah. Small Faces in yep. Charlie's Ego.
1: Yeah, good cool. Good, cool. You got did lazy Sunday afternoon there.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah, yeah. it's is exactly it. I put a note. I thought, oh, daydream believer.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, that's funny because <laughs> Charlie's ego was um, well, that's the version on the album that obviously is everyone's going to hear. But we also did a like a, a punky kind of atomic version of it, um, which is really kind of, almost like the buzzcocks. Um, and right up to the last minute, it was going to be the punky version that was going on the album, and the monkeys version, as I called it, was going to be the bonus on the bonus CD. But I bottled it right at the last minute. Literally, we had the track done and it was in, and I last knock-ins, literally the last day of compiling, I bottled it and I went, We've got to put the monkeys version on the album because that is Cats in Space and it's got this big production. But when people hear the other version, they're going to be absolutely surprised because it is full-on punk. And it works, you know, so and the reason why I nearly bottled it was because of that intro is Daydream Believer, you know, but you know, it's, it's tongue in cheek, you know, why, why shouldn't yeah, but who it, you Who
0: cares? Know? I mean, it just yeah, makes, it, um, yeah. it makes a great song and you know, yeah. it brings, it brings a smile actually is what it does. Exactly.
1: Um, yeah. And, and we need that. Don't we? I mean, in this day and age yeah. and after what we've been through for the last two years, we all need to smile a bit, you know, I, and I, I do get on my soapbox about it a bit but there's too much dark side to heavy rock stuff you know when we go and do these festivals all these bands and they it sounds like half oh, from the shed building you know it's just <laughs> doom and gloom detuned guitars and it's like they're trying to fit into a demographic to get on certain radio stations thinking this is the way to do it and i thought it's not the way to do it is to be yourselves and and try and take the blinkers off and be a little bit different and and have some fun, you know, there's a few bands out there that are brilliant, you know, and they and they have fun with the audience, and they're the bands that are winning, you know, and I think, you know, if people think we're a bit poppy and a bit lightweight, I, I don't give a stuff, you know, because at the end of the day, there's enough people that do like it, you know, and I think more people do like it and appreciate, you know, you might, you know, you might not even like us very much, but you will at least enjoy and have a smile when you listen to Charlie's Ego and you know, 51 Pillow Bed or, you know, A a Big Balloon and those kind of popular songs that we do. You know, we'll never shy away from it. And and going back to (laughs) a previous point, we may well do an easy uh, easy listening album, you know, because we've got that kind of melodic structure to what we do and we love it, you know. So, you know, we never say never to anything, really.
0: Lyrically, it is uh, diverse, but you've highlighted the fact that, yes, you, you can deliver statements be they political or anything else but they uh, there has to be a balance because after all you are there to entertain mm. which is good because uh, the numbskulls from the Beano get a mention
1: <laughs> good catch yeah good catch
0: yeah I, I, <laughs> this is only because I came out of the of the same era and, uh, you know, the numbskulls, the little characters that live in your head.
1: Yeah, putting the levers and switches, yeah. I mean, again, brilliant. Well done for picking that up because that's where I live. That's my world. My world is full of HR Puff and stuff, Hanna-Barbera cartoons, you know, Banana Splits, Scooby-Doo, and, you know, good pop music, you know, so... Well,
0: that was where... Uh, do you know why? I was looking at the, the video for Pope the Witch and I was suddenly thinking, Witchy Poo.
1: Yep you got it 100% I mean witchy poo is uh, I, you know I love all that stuff you know an actual fact I was, I was saying this to a guy yesterday on an interview I, I got in touch with Billy Hayes who played witchy poo because she runs a cat sanctuary over in America and she oh, now does all of the stuff she does is for charity and I thought you can't write this stuff when you've got witchy poo who's actually a a cat fan so she signed a couple of 10 by 8s and she and she charges to do it and all the money goes to this cat sanctuary so i've actually got um a photo of her as witchy Pooh saying hi greg come fly with me billy hayes <laughs> you know it's my treasured possession you know and but yeah i mean all, all that stuff i mean witchy Pooh featuring in the video it was always going to be that to be fair and james uh, heron who who did the, the video with us who is an absolute you know he's one of us he's he's one of us now you know he's he's as mad as us and he had that whole concept of that doll's house video um and it was brilliant and of course the second song you know teenage millionaires has got the nod to jack wilde so i think we've covered hr puff and stuff quite well on this album <laughs>
0: <laughs> have you noticed this uh, trend to embrace the nineteen seventies. Death Leopard have openly referenced yeah. that in the album Diamond Star Halo's being an yeah. appreciation of what they grew up listening to. Is there a, a real renaissance on the way?
1: Do you know what? I mean Joe Elliott, I mean, he's he's never shied away from a bit and he's a total seventies nut, you know, he's um you know, he's a great guy, you know. And I mean if ever if ever we should support a band, it should be Death Leopard, because They'd love us and and I think we'd go down well with their fans, you know. But I think the 70s thing has never really gone away. I just think, um, you know, in the 80s it all went a bit nuts, but even that was kind of tending to base itself on 70s glam rock. So I don't really think the 70s vibe has ever gone away. But, again, I think maybe nowadays with the way that we all are, you know, in our kind of 50s and early 60s, I think talking to our fans – They're they're reminiscing more and more every day because, you know, not being doom and gloom, but the world beats you up sometimes with all this crap that goes on these days with the government wars and God knows what else and petrol prices, you know, and then when you can suddenly put on an old Rush album from the 70s and you can have that half hour of bliss going back in time, people need that. So I think... Yeah, maybe it's becoming more apparent now because we're all getting to that age that we want to go back to our childhood and and just live there for a bit. And to be fair, that's why Captain Space came out from day one. That's all I ever wanted it to be. And, you know, if there are a few bands out there that kind of have heard of us and they're kind of going, cool, they're doing it, we'll have some of that, then you know fair play to it more the merrier yeah i mean i I know a mate a mates band i won't say who it is but i won't want to quote them on it but he said to me they were rehearsing some stuff for their uh an album they did a while ago and they were jamming away in the studio and they suddenly all stopped and one went that's too much like cats in space that is (laughs) so they shelved the whole thing
0: (laughs) brilliant brilliant
1: excellent. i mean there's quite a decent band as well you know but was. I said, there's probably doing some kind of jaunty piano thing. You know, that there's a certain tempo that, you know, the monkeys thing that we do on, you know, Charlie's Ego. We you know, we did it on Last Man Standing, on Narnia, that kind of ploddy Killer Queen piano. And it's such a trademark that, you know, when we first did it, um, people going, oh, blimey, I don't know if you'll get away with that. I mean, that really is aping, you know, Killer Queen or How Does It Feel by Slade, you know. And I said, why not? No one else has done it since and now we've made it our own so great stuff you know
0: Sheer Heart Attack, Jailbreak, Sweet Fanny Adams, three of your uh, favourite albums of the 70s. Do yeah. you remember the song uh, that really grabbed your attention as a kid um, that made you think, music is the career for me?
1: Oh, God, there were, there were several defining moments. There was, the first one was undoubtedly when I first heard Wigwam Bam by The Sweet. And seeing them on top of the pops with the Indian headdresses on, and that gets just that guitar riff. <laughs> I just thought, I don't know what this is, but I mean, my brother, my eldest brother, was buying the sweet records from Tom Tom, Turnaround, and Alexander Graham Bell. So we already knew the suite, but they're a bit more acousticy then. And then Wigwam Bam comes out after Little Willie, and it was like, wow! And me and the my mates at school, that's all we wanted to to do, you know. But obviously, I was only like seven, eight years old by by that time. But the um, listening to uh, Killer Queen was quite a defining moment as well, as far as getting into proper music. Um, but without a shadow of a doubt, the thing that made me go, my life is decided, was the when I first heard The Boys Are Back In Town. Unquestionably. Yeah, yeah. Still pound yeah. for pound, the greatest song ever written for me. Um, and that was it. The minute I heard that, game over my path was there and nothing else mattered literally I, was, I think I was 13.
0: I know you've mentioned uh logo and getting your getting the logo right uh and you you've got a great logo I've got to say and then you start thinking you know, cats in space coming out of the 70s do you ever think about your own animated cats in space show?
1: Oh god yeah. I mean, my I mean we dream, read
0: Josie yeah. and the Pussycats. Do you yeah. remember Ben? Yep,
1: yeah, I remember Josie and the Pussycat's what was it? Um long tails and ears to match, I think the word yeah. <laughs> hundred percent. I've 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 dipped my toe in the waters last year, funny enough, to see whether there's any animators out there that could animate something for us. But they're either ridiculously expensive or not good enough. So it's a very hard thing to get into but yeah I mean the ultimate goal without a question would be to have a Hanna-Barbera style Jetsons meets you know Josie the Pussycats meets you know the cartoon of Jackson 5 or the Osmonds you know um, and have a, a, a cartoon done I mean that would just be phenomenal ironically we've got the skills in-house with Stevie Bacon who does all the, the digital artwork and the the design of the cat helmet and stuff like that that's all stevie all the logos are stevie um and andy kitson our artist who does all the album covers and i do art as well so between the three of us we've we've got it in the tin to do it it's just finding an animator that could do it for under a million pounds you know
0: (laughs) (laughs) when you look at the uh the the helmet why wasn't there a picture of a cat inside. Was this to do with the reason that you came up with the, the name in the first place, which was in memory of a of, of cat that you lost? In fact, it was yeah. a double tragedy, wasn't it? Because uh, two of gone. you in the band had lost a cat. So yeah. was it purposely left out?
1: Um, yeah. Also, we saw something really early on when I was looking around for stuff to to, to build the Facebook page with. And Stevie was working on this design for the helmet. We noticed, we put a search out for cats in space on Google to see whether there's anybody else called it. And we saw an image of a cat face looking out of a cat helmet. So we went, (laughs) right, let's steer away from that and let's keep it anonymous. Um, And so we had like, the cat helmet is also the cat pod that is actually the spaceship. And then we built this whole kind of vibe around the the pod. I mean, on uh, the Scarecrow album, you see the pod on the front cover. And then when you open the cover up, you see where it came from, which is inside the mothership that we then revealed on the Narnia album front sleeve, which is the giant lion head. That is the mothership. Um, so yeah, we, we tended to stay away from actually putting the cat inside it as such because technically it's actually a little spaceship of its own that a whole human would sit inside.
0: Brilliant. It's, all very do, it's funny stuff. because do you know yeah. there there was? I'm sure you know this, but there was. Famously, a cat who was successfully launched into space back in the sixties as part of the I do a uh, French space program.
1: And I I do, and it, and its name was Felicity. Yes, and our company yes. is Felicity Limited. <laughs> <laughs> so our actual business, you know, the cats in space business, is actually. Uh, well, it's, it's Felicet is the, uh, the correct yes. pronunciation. It's Felicet Limited. But I just say Felicity because it looks like Felicity to me. But yeah, that's why we based our company on that very thing. So 19, early 60s, I think it was, wasn't it? Black and white. Yeah,
0: 1960, 1963. And he was. was oh, sorry. She was successfully bought back as well.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was um, the year I was born. So it all ties in as well. But. It wasn't actually my idea to call the company Felicity Limited. I wanted to call it Dibble. <laughs> but I was outvoted at the time by the powers that be. <laughs> I thought, and of course, anybody that's Dibble listening again.
0: to that, anybody that's listening to you say that, <laughs> will know immediately what Dibble is in reference to. Absolutely. Top Cat. Um, yeah, one Dibble. question I'm sure, or I'm not sure, if anybody's really asked you this or not, but how come... It took you so long to find the sound and the identity for you and for the band? Because I can't help thinking that if this had been you back in the 80s, then, you know, you'd have been right in the the thick of it. You'd have had huge selling albums yeah, that have been arena tours, et cetera, et cetera. So what took you so long?
1: That's good. Yeah, that's another good question. Um, I think a, a load of things, to be fair. I mean you know it's easy for me to say in, in retrospect that this is what I've always done but in truth all the way through the 80s and the 90s this is still very much I'm no different now to what I was then etc but I was swayed by the musical trends of the time and in the 80s all the british bands that wanted to try and make it were trying to be like journey and foreigner and i do you know don't get me wrong i love all that stuff you know i love all the early michael bolton stuff and, and so we was writing songs that were very kind of um, aimed at that market, but obviously, you know, we weren't very successful at it. You know, we had a, a modicum of success and then we, we got together with Jeff Downs out of Asia and we did the the F Only band, uh, um, the F Only album, um, which was a huge... No Bed of
0: Roses, yeah?
1: Yeah, No Bed of Roses. I mean, a huge production. I mean, that album took two years to do. I mean, it was just... That was like Fleetwood Mac rumours of what was going on there. That's a, a whole different story. But... Even throughout that period, when me and Jeff were mucking about late at night playing songs and he was playing Video Killed the Radio Star on the piano and we were talking about ABBA and bands like that, even then I was thinking, I really want to do stuff like that. But there was literally no record company would have entertained us whatsoever because they're all looking for that one thing. And then, of course, Grunge came out and then I heard Jellyfish and I thought, oh, my God, that's the band that I was destined to want to be in all my life, you know, and they unfortunately didn't do very well because they came out at the wrong time. So I think in a way I was, I was kind of born in the wrong period. I think if I'd have been maybe 10 years older, I think maybe I might have had, had more of a shout back in the day to do what we're doing now. Um, but other than that, and also if I'm totally, totally honest – I don't know whether I was good enough to tackle what we're doing now. Back then, you know, I mean, I was, I was quite insecure, you know, as a player and as a writer in many ways. I, I was, I, I wouldn't kind of shout out very loudly about what I was capable of doing. I was quite shy. I know some people might find that hard to believe, but I was. <laughs> um, and it wasn't until I got with Jeff Downs you know you're talking about a megastar here you know who's incredibly incredibly talented i mean he's such a a talented guy and we became really good mates and he turned around i won't say the exact words what he said to me because it's rude you know but he (laughs) one day turned around to me and he just said he said you're a prolific so-and-so you know and he was really complimentary about my songwriting and then because of that i started writing songs with him for what became the aqua album for asia Um, And that gave me the springboard thinking, well, maybe I am bloody good. You know, maybe I'm a bit better than I give myself credit for because, you know, you you do need verification from people that have done it before you make, you know, you feel that you're any good, you know. So um, and then after that, when the punk, the, uh, sorry, the, uh, the grunge thing came in and the band broke up, I mean, I had five pounds in my pocket that I had to borrow from my manager to get to go home back to back to Horsham. You know, I was out. I was out of the game. And I fell into the murky waters of the tribute world by putting together a glam rock tribute band. And but I never I never had the people around me that had the same vision as what Cats in Space did. And it wasn't until I met Mick Wilson um, I thought, you know what, I've got to do this now before I'm too old. I've got to try and just do ten songs of old seventies style music that I really want to do without any restraints of, it's got to be AOR. It's got to be ACDC. It's got to be this, you know, none of that. I'm just going to write songs how I want to write them purely for my own ego. And me and Mick did it. And that's how cats came about. So, um, but so yeah, had we'd have been around back in the day, I'm sure we might've had a ton of success, but, you know, I'm I'm quite happy with the way with the way it is. I mean, if I'd have had that success at a young age back then, I would have probably killed myself. To be fair, <laughs> they were crazy days back then when I lived in London. You know, and yeah, I'm just being totally honest. You know, we were all, you know, it was it was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, and a lot of it.
0: Well, yeah. lastly, then you get great press, you get great reviews for the albums and for the the live shows. How do you make the leap then to the next stage? Because there's still a lot of people that uh, don't know you. I mean, I've randomly played people in in the house, in a family, just said, have a listen to this, what do you think? And it's like, oh, that's good, who are they? That's good, who are they? That's, oh, that's great, what's that? And it's, it's still all about, isn't it, getting it to the music, to a wider yeah. audience.
1: Yeah, and it just, and it's like trying to squeeze blood out of a stone these days. I mean, you've got all this internet facility at your disposal, but it's just bombarded with so much stuff. It's trying to get your stuff to stand up above the, the turret, you know. And it's it's a 24-hour job for us, you know, to try and keep trying to get the name out there into the bigger picture. And it's, it's really, really hard. I mean, you know, we try and try and try and we're getting there slowly. I mean, it, it is building with every album, you know. There's no doubt about it. But... We know that could, if we can get in front of the right audience, you know, in front of a load of people, we will convert them. You know, that's that's a given. But it's just getting the opportunities to do that. You know, like, you know, going to America, for instance, uh, I saw a cheap trick a while ago out in Las Vegas and there's about sixteen hundred people in the in the venue. And I looked around, I went, every man here is a Cats in Space potential fan because because of the, the music, you know. How do you get there? You've just got to try and do it. Um, so it's just plugging away and good people like yourself that help promote us and say good things about us. You know, we are fortunate that the press are on our side, which not many bands can boast, but we have a very good relationship with Classic Rock Magazine and Fireworks and Powerplay and New, you know, hundreds of independent radio stations. They, it's almost like they're rooting for us because yeah, yeah. we're like an un- underdog that they have a, like a little secret affection for because, you know, we take them back to a better time as well. But at the end of the day, it's a very brutal business that we're in, and we need, you know, it, on if in all honesty, we need bigger players that can help us get to the bigger picture. And it's me trying to find who the bigger players are that will come on board with us and you know we haven't got a manager anymore you know we've been self managed now for quite a while and it's really tough i mean we're we're running on vapor at the moment and we do really need in all honesty we need a really good manager that can just help the workload and help get us into the areas that we just haven't got time to go to to be fair because we're too busy doing it you know and what so, about the
0: uh, what about touring them for the next 6 10 12 months i mean i know you've got a couple of dates
1: yeah, we're, we're, we've got a date with um, King King at Chepstow Castle on August the 20th, which is going to be brilliant. And then after that, our tour starts at the end of September on the 29th in Bilston. And then it kind of runs through sporadically through to till, till Christmas. Um, there's a few theatres in there, like the stables in Milton Keynes, which is great. Um, and to be fair, we, we're seeing nowadays that we feel that Cats in Space work best in a theatre environment as a live band because you can put a proper show on and you've got the space and the time to to really make the songs work to their best capabilities. So um, we've got a few little theatres that we're doing this year, like the Stables and Wimborne down in Dorset. We're doing the Tiv- Tivoli down there. And then next year we're going to concentrate on just putting together some really nice theatre dates and doing a proper full-on two-hour show. Um, with with some production, hopefully. So it's, um, I think that's the way the band is going to build in this country is to keep going out and doing the live gigs and trying to put it into a decent venues to make us look like you know we're a, a decent show basically. Mm-hmm.
0: is it for the classic rock podcast extra edition the cats in new album kickstart the sun it will reveal itself this friday in a multitude of formats including some rather fetching vinyl editions and so ahead of the next show we're going to leave you with another cats tune this one came from the atlantis album released in 2020 and it's a bit of good sage advice it's called listen to the radio Meet him cable till the next time. Bye bye.
2: The universe said we gotta hold on tight, stand shoulder to shoulder, nothing we can't fight through troubled times. If we do what's right, let's rock this planet of ours and unite and listen to the rest. all that we need If everyone plays